Welcome to this bonus edition of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station, as well as YouTube and some other various places on the internet. We shall be hiding it, um, as well as BCTV. I'm your host, Olga Peters. Welcome, Emily Kornheiser, representative for Brattleboro. How are you doing? I am doing well today, Olga. Thank you. I am settling into some strange new rhythm um, and yeah, feeling like there's some possibility in all of this confusion. I have to say, you know, the only time Emily and I are seeing each other is, you know, basically over these video chats recently. And I have to say your very pretty kind of ethereal outfit today is much more uplifted than mm-hmm. the heavier um, but very nice outfits you've been wearing in our previous yeah. chats. No, I'm feeling the possibilities this this today. We're seeing a lot of opportunities for policy change. We're seeing a lot of possibilities for social change. Um, yeah. Isn't that exciting? It is I'm, exciting. I'm really curious to see, you know, for years we've had conversations in Vermont about affordability. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> What I find is not everyone's definition of affordability is the same thing, especially the Absolutely. Governors. We've talked about that a lot. Yes, yes. we have. Um, and I'm just really curious to see how that word and the definitions attached to it and the policies attached to it change yes. after COVID. That's kind of a, a benchmark I'm going to be using for marking things. For change. Absolutely. I mean, it's possible this will be the benchmark of our entire lives, to be perfectly honest, certainly, or, you know, some of our children's lives. I know um, they thought the, the 2008 Great Recession was a biggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This no. feels bigger. It does feel bigger on a lot of different levels. And one piece, and we've talked um, on previous episodes about how this has helped sort of illuminate um, some existing cracks in the system. Yes. Or... Um, challenges in our communities or whatever, however we want to phrase that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them is our dependence on a tourist economy. Yes. And our, um, the fact that Vermont has fashioned itself for, I think, more than 100 years as a apocalypse refuge. Um, And, yep. yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that is the exact word all the marketers would use no no probably i shouldn't have even said it but there you go (laughs) i liked it because even like back in the the grand old days Mm -hmm. when people would summer elsewhere Mm -hmm. um i remember reading all these stories about artists who would come up to vermont to take the air yeah, or, that's what Madame Cherise was, right? Exactly. And and so still that, that idea that it's the healthy place to get away to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means the flip side of that is it's not necessarily a place, um, I think, sometimes in the minds of vid- visitors where real people live. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I think about, you know, I think there's a lot of people who moved here in the 60s and 70s for the sort of promise of a new beginning um, and the opportunity to craft a new life. Um, I think about sort of, you know, the first stage of colonialism here, you know, when white people came to create a new beginning and wiped out an existing population. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people who came here, whether that was in that sort of first colonial expansion 
or you know many that followed or the 60s and 70s some people did it out of sort of this dream and this new hope and this creativity and some folks did it out of like real fear and desperation from what they were escaping right mm -hmm. yes. um, whether that was fear and desperation about what was happening in america or fear and desperation from um what they were facing in cities whether that was illness or economic struggles or social struggles um, that's been, you know, those are sort of the two reasons that people have immigrated throughout the world for all these years. Mm -hmm. And Vermont has really, that's how Vermont has become Vermont. And so on those historical waves, um, the way that exists and Vermonters, um, people who are already in Vermont have pushed back against that in various ways, yeah. right? Um, and I think, you know, even the take back Vermont reaction to um, civil unions was part of that historic thread. And we've talked about that mm. a little bit. Um, but yeah, definitely... that one's interesting because those signs were actually, if I remember correctly, created by a group outside the state. But oh. people in the state adopted it and put them up. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, similar don't New York my gun laws. We've talked mm -hmm. about that. Um, and so this idea of sort of the outside invader and protecting ourselves from the outside invader is really always constantly being balanced in Vermont by the fact that our economy and our need for new folks and new energy and supporting the arts and all of these things is really sustained by this sort of, you know, bucolic dream of Vermont as this clean, healthy, safe, place full of wonder and opportunity. And right now we're really seeing um, a magnification of that with mm -hmm. um, folks from other states um, coming here to their second homes, coming here to vacation homes and really reckoning with how we handle that as a community. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because what, for me as someone who grew up in a resort town mm -hmm. and, you know, my father had a in and restaurant so definitely part of the tourist industry my stepfather um and then of course i worked at gift shops you know all through college and and helped put my way through college you know it's this interesting tension of um resources of being grateful for this influx of money because let's face it vermont doesn't have a lot of its own mm -hmm. um but also some some classism and mm -hmm being economically a second-class citizen, at least it felt that way in your own home. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that question of resources, that, mm -hmm. or I shouldn't say question, that fear over resources mm -hmm. is what's really being highlighted here. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I feel the state has a lot to answer for with its, its tourist industry. Um, mm -hmm. In so many ways, one, because I think it doesn't question it very often. Mm -hmm. Because it's such a cash cow as far as mm -hmm. taxes goes. Yeah. Um, and yet for people living on the ground, whether you are, you know, working in the tourist industry or if you're a tourist with a, or, a, or a second homeowner mm -hmm. who's expected to pay really high taxes mm -hmm. for a second home, you know, that reality on the ground is not necessarily the same. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, even when I had first moved here so fresh out of new york myself um more than 20 years ago and was waiting tables and the way people treated me um as if i was a second class citizen mm -hmm. 
And then when they realized that I was a college student from New York, how visible their shift was in perception made me um, really immediately aware of this incredible bias that was shown towards Vermonters by people from out of state. Whereas I don't know if I would have been able to recognize that if I hadn't actually seen that switch go off, that flip when they realized who I really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been sort of something I've carried with me in all of these years that I've been living here, whether that was working in the service economy or policy making. And in the legislature, when we look at issues around the tourism economy, I've often asked, can we please get explicit as we're having this conversation about what value this brings to our communities Mm. beyond revenue? And not saying, you know, revenue is very important. I'm not saying it isn't. And the property tax that second homeowners pay is incredibly important to support our school system. Um, The revenue that comes in terms of sort of meals and rooms tax and sales tax, also very important for sustaining other services we provide. Um, but it's, I think it's also important to look at sort of what wages those jobs pay and then what resources, um, what resources are not available because those resources are sort of going towards supporting and investing, continuing to invest in a tourist economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vermont's finding itself at this particular crossroads right now, as we're seeing folks coming in from out of state to be somewhere that feels sort of safer and warmer and airier than um, a crowded city where, you know, for me, the idea of being in an apartment in Manhattan with my family, knowing that, you know, there are EMS who can't respond to calls because they're flooded, knowing that the hospitals might not have a spot for me and my family, um, knowing that probably the person delivering my groceries is infected because they have been on the front lines more than anyone without proper protection is, I mean, I have. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so I have so much, so much empathy for folks who are showing up here. Yeah. And so I was really excited to see that as um, Vermonters were getting more and more escalated about folks who were showing up here, we're beginning to see some real guidance around what does it mean to be someone who crosses the border into Vermont and says, you know, I need respite. I'm here for respite. What are my obligations to you? Because I've now joined your community. Mm-hmm. So how do we start that conversation? Right? Yes. And just to put some things into context, you know, part of what is at at the crux again of this conversation is resources. Because as Laura Sabelia noted in one of her email uh, newsletters that she sends out every week, um, there are some resort towns where the number of second homes, it's like four to one ratio between mm-hmm. second homes and year-round residents. And what that happens, if if all those second homes are, are filled at once, and just for the sake of argument, let's say everyone there needs medical care, mm-hmm. that's a very different planning structure than yeah. planning for the year-round population. Now suddenly, mm-hmm. do we have enough hospital beds? Do we have enough protective gear? do we have enough whatever people need to be cared for if they're sick? And I, I want to really highlight that those are important questions to ask. And we didn't just start asking them this week. No. Those questions were questions that, you know, um, 
I asked, and I know a number of other legislators were asking weeks ago when we were really starting planning for this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our emergency planning processes have taken into account a population that looks more like summer or the height of ski season than just, you know, year round residents. And so um, I don't want, I don't want to fan the fires, fan the flames of fear um, by sort of not being explicit about the fact that we do actually have a lot of resources here. Our, you know, a lot of our general stores are still open because mm -hmm. second homeowners shop at them. Um, or, you know, Rattleboro Food Co-op certainly would not probably be able to sustain itself at the scale it does without, right. you know, folks coming from out of state to shop there. And so a lot of our systems are already set up for that level of patronage um, or customer base. And so that's good because you know what? Here's just a little FYI from the reporters side yeah. of the microphone please when i have listened to um press re press conferences with the governor and maybe mm -hmm. i missed one and this was mentioned it so i totally might not have been. um yeah. admit that i could have missed something but when reporters have asked the question mm -hmm. do we have to worry about um the extra population overwhelming our medical system mm -hmm. the answer is basically don't worry about it we're Vermonters, mm -hmm. we take care of everybody. But no mm -hmm. one has explicitly said, here's the planning or questions that have gone in. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, those reporters won't, weren't actually getting their questions answered. Yeah. And if well, a reporter's think... not getting their question answered, one more thing, then that means the community's not getting their questions answered. Yes. And I think that um, often when folks are talking to reporters, they forget that in avoiding a question, they're not just avoiding a reporter, they're avoiding a question that many other people have as well. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the challenge there is that, while I don't think that we are facing grocery shortages anytime soon beyond sort of the um, repercussions of hoarding behaviors, which mm -hmm. we've talked about before, um, and should, as we all calm down with our buying, and take some deep breaths should really like iron themselves out yep. um, because we are still receiving food into the state at the same quantity and speed that we did before. Mm -hmm. um, our medical system is still fragile in the best of times. So yes, while planning is taking into um, consideration the fact that we have a, you know, sort of varying population size, um, that doesn't mean that we could, you know, we have a hospital system that could handle everyone getting COVID simultaneously, right? There isn't mm -hmm. a state in the country that can handle that. No. Um, New York City with its huge population can't handle that. And That's our emergency seeing. medical system, our emergency medical services, um, like ambulance services, um, were certainly struggling significantly before we even got to this point. Um, and so, what we need to do in order to make sure that we have the health system to sustain the level of illness that we think we're gonna see from this is to flatten the curve, to disperse it enough that the existing resources can meet the need. And so as second homeowners come in, as other folks from out of state come in, making sure that as a community, we're bringing them into the fold enough that they understand what we're doing here 
that they understand how we're working to flatten the curve, that they mm -hmm. understand the kind of social distancing measures we put in place, that they understand how we've decided to be safe in a grocery store. Because, and we've talked about this so much, Olga, um, so much of what Vermonters do is implicit, like, right? Like we don't have real road signs. We don't often have, you know, signs for the best way to use a park finding the farm stand or how the knowing how the farm stand operates and where the quarters go and where the dollars go and how you all of it is um, something that you know one person tells another it's not something right. that's explicit and so as new people come here seeking respite and sanctuary how are we making sure that they're joining our community norms mm -hmm. so that we can all be safe together yes that's for me the most important value in this because if we start saying like all the people from out of state need to stay away mm -hmm. and they're the enemy and they're the ones bringing the infection my first thought is like okay the the moment we start blaming the jews for the the blaming new yorkers for the infection i feel like the next step is we're going to start blaming the jews because yeah. that's you know that's where i come from with my own um family history Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it that gets really scary for me um, is that we stop taking responsibility for our own behaviors and our own actions and our own policy and what yes. our own policy needs to do. Um, and then there's also, you know, like I have a constituent whose mom lives in Massachusetts and like at some point she's 90, she's probably gonna need to bring her mom to her house. Mm -hmm. um, and so many of us who live here have moved here from out of state and have deep family connections, you know, in other places. So if we're going to be, you know, isolated, maybe some people need to be isolated with their families and their loved ones that they need to care for. So really recognizing that our boundaries are not as tidy as we think they are, even though, you know, the um, billboards disappear, but the edge between Vermont and Massachusetts is not really all that clear. Right. Um, otherwise, in terms of where humans are living. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was a long lecture. No, that was a good lecture, though, because, you know, I think as we're talking, one of the cracks in our system that this this crisis is illuminating is our fears mm -hmm. and fears that we've been holding for a long time. Yeah. And which means those fears aren't being answered. Mm -hmm. And they're also, I think... Something that to me is a very American thing. There's so many beautiful things about America. I love mm -hmm. our optimism. I don't love our habit of blaming the other. Yeah. And if there's no other to blame, we'll find one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other crack in our system that is, is um, being illuminated right now. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes to something like a pandemic or a virus... They really aren't enemies. A virus does not care mm -mm. who you are, how old you are, where you're from. It's just like, can I get you infected? Here we go. That's what a virus wants to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a perfect time for us to practice mm -hmm. um, community, actually. Absolutely. But those fears that I don't think we've ever spent enough time addressing as communities around the fact that many of us feel like folks who come here as tourists or visitors don't see us as fully human and mm -hmm. fully integrated members of our own, having our own communities, our own cultures up here. Um, it seems that if you're holding on to that fear, then it would seem very um, natural that you would assume that those people also wouldn't care about your health 
and your health needs, right? Yeah. Um, And so those fears are really founded and we need to move past them because we are really all in this together. Um, I am excited about some of the sort of clear guidance that has been, um, that was offered from the governor today. Um, And one of them is just real clarity that people who are coming here from out of state need to spend two weeks quarantining, um, which is really helpful. And sort of, I think many of us have known that if we are coming back from somewhere, we need to spend Mm -hmm. two weeks quarantining, or if we've, you know, been around or exposed, we need to spend two weeks quarantining. And then other pieces of that are um, being really clear that hotels and motels cannot house people who are not already sort of part of an essential person system, right. whether that's health workers from out of state. And we do have a lot of health workers who we are here from out of, of state. nurses and such. Yes. Right. And so just because you see an out of state license plate does not mean that someone is here on vacation. Um, and so also we have a lot of people who are precariously housed who have now been housed in motels and hotels so that they have somewhere safe to be sleeping and isolating themselves yes um socially distancing themselves and so really appreciate the differentiation between sort of what the uses of motels and hotels are right now the second piece that i think is really important is being really really clear with airbnb um and short-term rental platforms because one of the challenges with such a diffuse and unregulated system is that it's really hard to get in touch with each host and say, hey, here's this new law, here's this new rule, right? Right. Um, because it's up to each person to pay attention. And a lot of people are doing this in the edges of their free time. And mm-hmm. so my understanding is that there's been a lot of efforts to get in touch with the actual platform itself, the software itself. That's what I understand. And too. to put up warnings. And yet it's been very hard to get any responsiveness from this very diffuse software network. Um, and so from my perspective, the closer we come into um, regulatory frameworks and relationships with companies that have this much sort of power over our, and within our economy and our lives, the more responsive those platforms will be to the kinds of like really immediate changes and shifts that we needed to see around short-term rentals just being you know, shut down for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to uh, communicating and mm-hmm. creating, because right now I would say in so many ways, the tour, the relationship between, for lack of a better term, tourists and year-round residents, mm-hmm. in so many ways is very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. One side's not treating someone as human, the other side's just treating them as a cash cow. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we start communicating and, and welcoming someone into our community, even if we are afraid that that they won't respect us. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the question. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's the next marketing phase is not something like Love Brattleboro, mm-hmm. which is a great marketing um, campaign from what I hear, but maybe there needs to be a new marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, to come, come actually be of us or with us or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I know we've talked about putting up, um, you know, the highway signs that say, you know, that are reminding people about social norms, like, hey, you show up, social distance, quarantine, whatever yeah. it is, right? Um, being really explicit with people. And then other parts of it are, um, you know, during 
different times, um, what's really important to me is when I see someone um, sort of looking a little bit lost in the street um, or in the grocery store, wherever it is, um, really talk to them the way I would talk to another, you know, someone else that I know and say like, hey, what are you looking for? You need, you know, but like really being clear that like, I'm a person, I live here, I'm not a tour guide. Um, and these are also real people. And so being like continually engaging in that way, I think is really, really important because it's really easy to be like, I'm going to ignore all these people who are ignoring me. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first moved here and people would like smile at me on the street and it was so disorienting. And then after a little while, I got used to it. Now I do it. So um, just holding people to the, you know, holding people to the community values that we, that we're all living by. Um, so not exempting them and also not blaming them when they don't know, you know, our special New England ways. Right. Well, because that's the thing about different cultures, whether it's Vermont and another state or another country or what have you, is we always believe that the culture we're living in is the, the quote unquote normal one. Yes. And, and so two people across the cultural divide both deciding that they're the normal ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And so like when people from out of, you know, people who are coming here fresh from somewhere else and are, you know, seeking sanctuary, how do we say like, hey, you can't hoard toilet paper either, right? Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate you sharing these, these thoughts, Emily, because I admit at times I still, even though I am now in my 40s, and mm -hmm. have a job and have traveled overseas and lived overseas. Um, I still hold a lot of anger towards yeah. the tourist industry, you know, cause for my experience of, I've seen that shift too, where someone thought I was like them and then realized I was just the townie or just the woodchuck or just the hill mm -hmm. kid. Um, yeah. and, and so it really, I really appreciate you sharing your experience mm -hmm. because it reminds me that, yeah, this is messed up. It is messed up. It's messed up. And like, we all have a, you know, um, moving here for whatever reason, I realized early on that it was not my job to recreate Vermont in my image. It was my, you know, it was my responsibility to, you know, observe and learn and adapt and join um, with my own flavor. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's ever going to think I'm a New Englander, but... I, um, and so I think, I think that's an important balance to strike mm -hmm. that we are all richer for diversity. Um, yes. and we, it's okay to hold, hold people accountable to what's best for the community sometimes. And what's best for the community right now is that people share resources and that people keep themselves as socially distant as they can. And that people who are like our essential frontline workers, whether that's working at a grocery store or working in a childcare facility or working in a hospital, that those folks are getting the respect and consideration that they need. And one of those pieces of respect and consideration is that we don't take undue risks that will then cause them undue risks, right? Yes. And, um, and that means financially supporting, you know, as a community and as a state, and as a country that we are financially supporting the people who have had to leave the workforce in order to keep the rest of us safe. Yes. 
And when we are dealing with folks, as simple as it sounds, please and thank you is, is, more, is even more important now than, than any other day because we are stressed and we need to extend just a little bit more kindness yep. to one another. Yeah. Well, Emily, thank you. That's about all the time we have for this, this bonus episode. But I'm sure we will be back later this week as more things evolve with COVID. And of course, you can always find us Friday at 2 p.m. on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro and our SoundCloud page, the Vermontitude SoundCloud page. Thank you. Thank you, Olga. Bye.